Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. All right, we'll get into this episode of the podcast. It is with a guy that I'm a massive fan of as a wakeboarder. He was big, powerful, had such a rad style and was the life of the party kind of guy when it comes to uh, the extra activities around the pro wakeboarding tour. Four years ago, he was in an accident uh, wakeboarding that left him a quadriplegic and he is in where well, he was in Australia just for a few days and we managed to snag an hour and a half with Brad Smiley and I'm pumped. The guy is a fucking legend and really really lucky to get the time that we did with him and we had an awesome chat that I thoroughly enjoyed uh, his take on the mental side of I guess dealing with an injury and and adapting to life now as a quadriplegic left me feeling really inspired and feeling really good about humans in general Brad's an amazing guy and I hope you guys enjoy this edition of the Gypsy Tales podcast all right, so we have a very special guest on the podcast today for Gypsy Tales, Brad Smaler. Must admit, I'm definitely a fan of the uh, wakeboard style when I was a little grommy cruising around. Rad. Yeah, no, thanks, man. It's, uh, it's cool to be here. Um, so we've got like a ton of mutual friends, but we've never actually met. So I'm like super close with Harley, obviously Jeff, all yeah. the Florida crew. So it's, um, it's, I've, it's always cool when like this podcast come about because we did the one with Jeff obviously the other day and then you're yeah. in town and then Jeff's like you got to get on the the podcast so I love when that like six degrees of separation happens and then you end up like kind of knowing people like you feel like you know someone because of how many mutual friends you've got yeah totally I mean it's it's rad I was stoked when when Jeff brought it up and and when you uh sent through the message so you know off to the airport at you know a couple of hours so i managed to squeeze it in this morning so no it's cool i know so you're like you've gone from pro wakeboarder to um pro wedding mca yeah <laughs> yeah no it's uh it's it's really cool so i'm off to sydney for for a buddy's wedding and um you know just take on the new roles as they come and you know it's a it's a new sort of i guess a new world now outside of the the wakeboard scene and you know just taking any opportunities and you know, I think the the speaking roles seem to be coming up, whether it's emceeing weddings or, you know, doing corporate events and um, speaking at schools and things like that. So that's no, been, you know, it's been a, a new challenge, but seem to be taking it on. Yeah, just a journey. I think like with, with a guy like you, with the the way that you 
attacked wakeboarding. I think that there's a certain mentality that you had, which was like a champion mindset. So I think that you now can take that champion mindset into all this other stuff that's like coming at you. Like, have you actually kind of found that that's how it sort of worked for you? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's been a a huge learning curve. I mean, basically before my accident with wakeboarding and everything and, and with, I mean, everything I did like to, to earn a living, I mean, whether it was um, landscaping or, you know, modeling and, and promo work or things like that, everything was physical. Yeah. So then having all of that stripped away, like I had to kind of redefine who I was and like, um, and that was a huge challenge uh, through the first couple of years after the injury. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now and over the last couple of years where I've really been embracing the journey and just kind of, um, you know, just trying to learn and, and kind of take on new challenges and, and apply my, my mindset and, my, and um, you know, just, I guess, figuring out who I am outside of that physical, mm. um, you know, the physical ability. So, you know, all of these challenges, all these new opportunities that come up and everything like that, you know, I just try to, um, yeah, just, just take them as they come and, and apply myself the best I can. And, you know, it's, it's really cool, actually. Like, I you know didn't really realize I had um some of the the I guess mental capacity that that I do have and um you know it's a definitely a growing experience it's crazy um I was thinking about it in the car on the way here because I guess we haven't gone into your injury or whatever so for the people that aren't watching the video and just listening to it on iTunes so you're a quadriplegic from the shoulders down from a wakeboard accident yeah so I was thinking on the way here I was like man you sort of you you're trapped in a way to where you can't kind of um express yourself physically totally but does that then show you like how strong the mind is because i think for like uh we're almost when you can you know use your arms and legs and you've got those physical capabilities that's like a pretty big distraction from your mind in a way right yeah totally and i think when um you know before my accident and with most most people when you're frustrated or you're angry or you you need a vent and uh or you know burn some energy or anything you can just go outside go for a run you know yell into your pillow whatever punch something like it's just to be able to vent those frustrations is so much easier when you have that physical ability and that's uh, definitely something i've i've had to learn and um, just work through, I guess, the power of the mind. And I've, I've had some, you know, a, a really amazing, I guess, mentor and a guide through, um, through this. So it's a woman named Susie who was, um, she was my Pilates instructor before my accident. Um, and, you know, with my either knee reconstruction and then shoulder reconstruction, lower back problems, then another knee injury. And, pretty much she would help help me work through all of those injuries and not just in the physical sense but also in the mental side of things she's a kinesiologist as well and um, so after my injury she's pretty much been on board um, since day one she's come and seen me every week um, pretty much for the last almost four years and um, you know whether it's been working through um, you know the kinesiology side of things doing muscle testing so and what that, yeah what is kinesiology for people that don't know because I, I don't know as well it's it's basically um, and I'll try not to butcher it but uh, it's it's basically kind of figuring out what the body needs and what the body is trying to tell you like she can 
Um, and she, you know, it's kind of hard with me because usually you, you hold your arm out straight. Yeah. She'll be able to push down and get a yes or no answer from the body yeah. as to what it needs or what's sort of going on with it. And, um, then they can, they can use the, you know, those messages and those answers to, um, to help work through things like, you know, certain type of stresses impact certain parts of the body. So it could be the kidney or it could be the stomach or the gallbladder or this or that. And so she'll figure out what that is and then she'll get in and start rubbing that part of the body and create a drain to kind of help release that sort of stress. And, um, you know, whether it's that, you know, kinesiology side of things and actually physically trying to help, um, you know, release that sort of stress or, I mean, the other side of things, she's really just helped me, um, you know, sometimes we'll just sit there and just talk for the, yeah. the hour that she's there and almost like a therapy session and, um, with no real pressure on what we talk about we just talk about whatever comes up yeah. and usually there'll be a, a message there or there'll be a, something to learn from and um she's really helped me work through you know ways of identifying like um i guess you know things that come up that that bring up certain emotions yeah. um you know things that'll cause anxiety or or make me upset or um things like that and i guess it's just realizing what causes those and realize you know and understanding the way that we can work through them um because if i you know if i am watching a bunch of wakeboarding or i'm scrolling through social media too much or i'm you know yeah. doing this or that and this is going back before i was able to sort of process it properly and work through it but you know there'd be times where i'd whether it's jealousy or you know i feel like i'm missing out yeah. um and yeah i guess there's a lot of things you know perspective and things like that that come into play and i just I've, I've been able to learn ways to work through all that and it's it's been really cool to actually to work through that journey and and realize how sort of powerful the mind is and that you know i guess it's it's understanding ourselves and the way that we work like this metacognition of sort of like this thing happens in front of me so this is how i respond so yeah and like responding in the moment before you've seen how it actually plays out when it's done kind of yeah thing. and so like knowing how i'm how my brain and how i'm going to respond to certain situations means that i can get on top of it early and not let it really affect me and um in a negative way um so yeah it's been it's been really interesting and and i'm it's something that i'm you know, I'm learning more and more about and it's something that I want to help, you know, pass on to others because it's a powerful thing, you know, you don't have to be a quadriplegic to be able to... Get control you, over your mind. Yeah, so, um, you know, hopefully, I'm, you know, whether it's through corporate talks or, um, you know, just messages through social yeah. media or whatever, it's, um, you know, something I really want to be able to pass on. Did you... Because um, I know since I've started the podcast, I almost took for granted the power of a real conversation. So you know like what we're doing now and this is one of the things where i'm i'm almost addicted to this now yeah. because i sit down with people that some people i don't know like yourself some people i've known for 10 11 years mm -hmm. but when you dedicate time to have a real conversation with no agenda and, and like you said before there's no real guide of what's going to get said there's no you know what I mean? Like you're not going in there with any intent, yeah. but when you just start talking and it's a, um, 
you're listening as as well as talking instead of like kind of waiting for your turn to talk almost totally then there's a, there's a pretty crazy thing that happens between two people when you and and for yourself like like you said there's healing and a message in that when you do just have a real conversation and it's it's such a like it's actually something you you know you need like a skill it's it's 100 it's, it's something to work on like to, to actually be able to have a proper conversation and um because uh, you know a lot of the time people are just waiting for that opportunity as you said to just just to talk you know and they're, they're not even really listening they're just waiting for that gap to just start talking again and it's it's really cool when um you know because i've i've come across a lot of people that i've never met before and they just whether it's messages through instagram or you know something and then i'll end up facetiming them other people with with injuries or in certain situations that they connect with my story and um to be able to have that sort of a conversation with someone and and listen to what they're wanting to say and kind of i guess taking it on and you know um it's 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 really cool actually it's quite refreshing like rather than sitting around with your mates and half of them are on their phone and yeah you know like it's just it's it's really cool to have an authentic conversation so and do you think you appreciated it before your injury not as much as now it's crazy huh yeah yeah it's definitely interesting so yeah it's definitely it that's been one of the, i guess the big things with this and even some of the early podcasts i did i was like you could cheek yourself because you're right like a conversation is a skill to have yeah. and to to not um i think at the when i first started doing this i was like get like flustered like trying to think ahead of what i had to say and not like because com- conversation can like breathe and there's all this sort of cool yeah. stuff that happens and and you end up getting a lot out of it and and for yourself when you can really just kind of go deep and block out all the all the other noise and because there is so many distractions that kind of keep us out of that yeah oh completely i mean something you know with that the noise and in in your mind and the um quieting that noise is such a skill as well like whether it is through a conversation and and you know just taking the moment as it is and kind of moving through it but like i mean before my injury like wakeboarding was my method to quieten that noise like yeah yeah. while you know while i was riding there was nothing else going on you're in the moment and it's like it's just clarity and um i found it really hard to to find something else or find a way to to quieten that noise um without wakeboarding and without that sort of uh, release and um you know so there's just been finding new ways whether it is like meditating or yeah. um you know and, and it's finding ways to switch off you know because like, there as you said earlier you know they're without that physical sort of ability it's like the mind is just going like, yeah and it's and it's you know it becomes louder because there aren't these sort of ways to distract myself as much and um so yeah it's just finding other ways and um you know definitely switching off like you know i've got a um i've been you know working on really applying myself and applying my mind and kind of coming up with um with ways to keep myself busy but at the same time like if i am trying to do that all the time i give myself anxiety and so it's definitely you know definitely good to to switch off every now and again and um you know and even if it's just kicking back watching a movie or you know something like that going for beers with friends and um (laughs) 
went for beers the other night with a, a few buddies and with Jeff and yeah he was pretty he was pretty lit up when he yeah. got back home <laughs> and um uh, it's funny because that's the most amount of beer I've drunk since the last time I was in Australia so there's a trend a couple of years ago so it's definitely a trend I mean I don't drink as much anymore it's um it's just not so pleasant like getting, yeah. getting drunk isn't fun because I can't you know can't do a lot and then yeah. it just gives me nerve pains and you know oh really yeah and just I struggle to sleep afterwards and, and things like that so it's just I'll have a couple of beers you know just because I enjoy drinking a beer and you know have a little Jameson and Jai or something like that just to mm. get a little bit of a buzz going but any more than that it's no fun so yeah. um, but it was a good time the other night with the, with all the crew so um, it's funny you were saying like with meditation because I am a big um um yeah i'm a i'm a big believer because i do a lot of mountain bike um jiu-jitsu motocross surfing like i i i'm big on that because i didn't really understand it until i looked into like meditation and and started reading you know kind of spirituality sort of stuff yeah that the goal of you know these monks and these you know like heavy yoga practitioners is to like get to that point where they feel detached from their mind and it's and it's fully living in the moment and i think that and it's a recent thought is that that's what guys like us did Mm -hmm. we did but i don't think we knew that when we kind of got into it i think it's as you get a bit older you're like hey what i'm doing is meditation yeah so now then i was wondering with you now is like are you getting deeper into that well i'm I've got to now figure out a way to detach because I was chasing that through wakeboarding. Now I've got to figure out a new way to do it. Yeah, man. And it's trippy when you start to think into it um, a lot. Like um, when you think about, you know, like who am I really? Like I'm not my body. I'm not this, the brain that's sitting inside my head. Like I'm a series of like electrical impulses and things going on in, in your mind. And it's like, um and i wish i could remember this quote but it's something about like um you know the the brain creates mind you know like your mind is um like all the noise and everything that's going on but that's still not me like you know what is this noise like it's almost like other people talking inside there like saying all these different things and everything going on so it's as you said detaching from that and I've been using a lot of, you know, sort of guided meditation, yeah, um, okay. things like videos and things that, you know, they just sort of guide you through it. And um, I've actually found like when I've been able to meditate or where I've found when, I'm, when I've um, been able to get into it really well and clear my mind, like generally I'll wake up and I'm like, didn't even realize I'd fallen asleep. Yeah. And sometimes, I, you know, don't remember what time it is, what, what day it is. And I wake up out of the sleep just feeling, you know, it's only been 10 minutes or something, just feeling so incredibly rested and Because you've got to detach. Exactly. And um, it's, it's such a powerful thing that, you know, I mean, a lot of people talk about it, and a lot of people do it. Um, and it is a difficult thing to be able to do that, to be able to quieten that noise because... I can't, I definitely can't get there through meditation. I've tried guided meditation and I've tried... Um, some of those kind of techniques and i mean not a lot because i think i can just go back to that default of like going for a mountain bike or whatever and doing something that requires all of your attention but 
I mean, for yeah, for you to be able to do that, like that's a crazy skill to be able to get to that place. Yeah, I mean, and I'm no nowhere near getting there yet. Like I'm still still just a. Have you noticed that amateur. it's gotten you've gotten better at it though? Yeah, like in the what four years, I guess. Yeah, and I think you know, f- for those first couple of years, I would sort of just oh, what I'd say meditate in my own way, and that's just sort of taking myself to a place that I. Um, you know that I really enjoy and that was really peaceful and 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 for me that was sitting on a stand-up paddleboard out in the middle of Lake Ronex at seven o'clock in the morning as the sun's rising and the birds are starting to chirp and it's just completely still and tranquil and so I would just take myself there in my so mind. So you're visualizing that in your mind. Yeah and that was what I was doing originally and then you know I've sort of just been kind of uh, working through some of the guide, guided meditations and stuff now and it's all about just you know all the noise that comes in it's letting it come in but just letting it kind of move through you know not focusing on it and exploring like where that thought came from and where it's mm. going it's just letting it appear and and then acknowledging it and then kind of moving on and it's the same with you know uh hearing things as well listening to your breath and things like that it's just you hear it but you're not just focusing on it and not letting it kind of become this thing that you're thinking about that's bouncing around in your brain are you are you like um have you found that you can explore into your psyche deeper than you could before because i guess you spend so much time with those voices that every you know everybody has those voices but i think it's easy to get away from when you've got that physical outlet so have you like I guess have you dived deep into those and found like little places in your in your psyche and things like that? Like, have you kind of gone exploring in a way that maybe other people can't? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess it's the main thing I've really found is I've I've um, I've really been able to figure out like I guess where a lot of these thoughts are coming from. Mm. and and sort of yeah what's what's causing them and where they're taking me um and i think that's really important because yeah knowing knowing how you respond to certain thoughts and things like that you know it just it means you can control your happiness and your Mm. your emotions and things like that and that's one thing that i guess after my injury like i found you know when i was you know because i was quite depressed obviously afterwards and um as much as i put on a positive face all the time like it was sometimes it was bullshit you know like I wasn't happy but I felt like I needed to be happy or pretend to be happy for everyone else because you wanted to care for the people around you exactly and I knew I I could see how much it was hurting others so by me putting on that brave face meant they were you know they were able to to be sleep a bit easier yeah exactly and um um where was I going with that um but yeah like so I guess I was able to, um, when I was in the spinal unit, I, you know, there were other, other guys with injuries and my level of injury is a C4. So that basically gives me shoulder movement, but, um, doesn't give me bicep or anything through my arms. Whereas if I was to get, have a C5 level injury, one level lower, you get bicep movement, you get a little bit of arm function. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, with C5 injuries, you know, they can get into a manual wheelchair where they're pushing themselves around and, yeah. Um, and have a bit of arm function and so I was I was looking at these guys and I was like man I'm so jealous you know and, and like I really wish I was in that position 
Whereas before my injury, there's no way in hell I would have ever wished Wish for something like that. And then I get home um, to the spinal unit here in in New Zealand and there's a guy with a C2 level injury. And so that's basically, he can't even move his neck. He's got like face movement. You know, he drives his wheelchair using his uh, joystick on his chin, full time on the ventilator. And I'm looking at this going, man, I'm so grateful for a C4 level injury. And I was like, how is that even possible that I can look this way and be jealous and ungrateful and then I look that way and I can be grateful and, and happy with yeah. where I appreciate where I'm at. And I was like, it's all about perspective. And to be able to understand that and and kind of um, know, like, yeah, understand when, the, when that sort of, thing, sort of thing's coming up. And, you know, if you are feeling jealous about something or if you are feeling unappreciative or whatever it is, then it is just perspective. And you've got to, like, it's powerful to be able to have control over that and, um, almost like see that about to enter the gate and then there's two ways it can go mm. and then you direct the gate that it goes in towards yeah. that grateful positivity almost yeah exactly and you know i think that's where a, a lot of depression comes in and things with people is because you know say you're you come from a you know a underprivileged background and you know you're not wealthy or anything like that but you're hanging out with a bunch of rich guys you're always going to feel like less, you know, like you don't have enough, you're not good enough. But if you go for a stroll through the hood, you're going to feel like a lot better about, you know, feel, you know, appreciate where you're at. So again, it comes down to perspective and it's so powerful to, to be able to have control of that and understand, you know, how that affects your, your mind and your, um, just your happiness. So like, that's definitely something that you know that I've learned that's super powerful and and if I can help other people learn that then that's something that I would love to be able to pass on and um, feel like I'm you know doing the world some good no man I I totally totally agree and and I think that in my own personal life I try and think of life as super binary so there's only two options for every single thing that you've got and that's a yes or a no and I think that people like to think that life is more complicated than that like no life isn't just a yes or a no but i think that at every everything that comes at you in your life do you want to do this podcast yes or no do you want to go for a uh, like a workout in the morning yes or no do you want to eat the right food yes or no every single thing and your life is only the accumulation of the yeses or the noes at, at any sort of turn you know what i mean and I, and I think that people like to overcomplicate life and they think i've got this and i've got this and i've got all this stuff going on and i can't cope with this and this is coming at me mm. but again it just comes down to these yeses and noes and and i think that it, it becomes a powerful thing if you can take one thing at a time and say yes or no totally yes it's about or no just taking those yeses or no's in, in the moment and owning once you've done it because it, it becomes so much more than a yes or a no when you start thinking too far into the future mm. and and as to what you know and and also thinking about like how it's gonna you know oh if i don't do this then that person's gonna get upset and oh, this or mm-hmm. that and it's like just whittle it down to its most simplest mm-hmm. thing. It's a, do you want to do it? Yes yep. or no? Is it going to be good for me? Yes or no? You know, like it's, I like that. You know, it's, it's a cool way to look at it. And, and I think that too, it becomes a lot easier to own the problems in your life. 
because I mean I still deal with things right now right now that are a result of a of a stupid yes or no call that I made years ago and I still deal with that now yeah so it's like but I can't change that now I chose that decision with all the information that I had at the time or I maybe let that slip through the cracks a little bit. I didn't give enough attention to the yes or the no that I was giving it. But at the end of the day, I did that. Yeah. And I can't change that now. And all I can influence over is the yeses or the nos that come into the system. Because, yeah. you know, I, like to, I just like to think of our computer, uh, our brain is like a computer. Because yeah. computers are zeros and ones, which is like a, a yes or a no. Totally. So I just think, yeah, breaking your life into those things and yeah you might have fucked up yeah you crashed your wakeboard yeah you know what i mean but that was a yes you said in the moment and then now that yes is gone all you get is the ones that come after it and and i think that like what you said you have to be able to find a way to find happiness in the moment with the yeses and the no's that you've said in the past or the ones that you're gonna say in the future you know what i mean and and we don't we can't determine the ones that are going to come at us in the future all we can deal with is the ones right now yeah and we can't change the ones that we made in the past so it's as you said yeah it's dealing with with things as they are now and because i mean this like if if i really focused on it and thought about it a lot there's a lot of regrets that i could go back to and go well if i didn't do this if i didn't do that if if i didn't back out on the double flip right at that moment you know if i'd have just continued as i had planned then you know this i wouldn't be in this position but at the end of the day like we can't go back we can't change those things and we've just got to yeah just take life as it is right now and and that presence is such a powerful thing as well that's another thing that susie's been helping me work through and um being present is so powerful like it's as you said it's it's taking these these things one step at a time and and um, I mean, obviously, it's great to plan ahead and, yeah. and sort of have goals and stuff like that. So it doesn't mean that you know you're not doing those things. It's just living in the in the moment and kind of yeah, being being very present. And you know, as they say, it's a gift. No, That's why I, they call it the present. You know, like yeah. But um, but no, it's 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 again such a powerful thing to be able to live in that mindset and in the moment. I um I've been thinking a lot too lately about um because someone said to me with like the podcast they're like oh you know for the ones that go for like three hours they're like how do you you know like do it for that long or whatever and i've been trying to do this with a lot of stuff in my life because you know you find that like say you've got an hour to kill before you go somewhere Mm -hmm. and you kind of just have that like anxious like it's like an awkward transitional time because you're like well i know i want to be here in an hour or you're doing a task that you don't really want to do and you're like like for a dude at work you're like oh i've got i've got an hour left until i finish work Mm. and then you kind of start living in that present moment that's not actually there yet yeah and you it's like a real weird place to be but what i've tried to do and the podcast is what made me think about it is i try and think that this is the only thing that exists like nothing actually exists right now except me and you talking sure there's other stuff going on outside the walls i've got stuff that i've got to do after this you've got stuff you've got to do after this but i think that there's such a a beautiful thing that happens when you can just go like me and brad talking is all that exists until it's done so i'm gonna give it everything And, and it's like you can kind of enjoy that moment more when you tell yourself like let go of the thing that you wish you were doing or that 
this is a thing that you don't want to be doing. Just let go mm. of that. Just live right here. Just own yep. this thing right now. And you can kind of find like magic and beauty in the, it just the moments because all your life is, is you're just going from moment to moment to moment to moment. Yep. Some of the moments might be shit, but it's still the moment that you're in and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and it's so powerful to be able to apply that in whatever it is that you are doing, whether you're out surfing or whether you're, you know, sitting at a desk working or, you know, working on a project, whatever it is. Like if you are completely focused on that moment and in that moment completely, then the distractions of the outside world and whether even the distractions of your your mind mind. and the, the noise going on in there, like you can quieten all that down if you're just focusing on that one thing and being present so it was something that i you know i loved about wakeboarding um and the presence of it yeah exactly but do you think that you knew that's what you loved about it until you stopped did you appreciate it at the time not as much yeah not as much as like i was just having a good time yeah like and that's again you know i look back and i'm like i could have partied less and i could have focused more and tried these tricks more and done all this other stuff but at the time i was just living it man like it's but you were just the dude like that everybody loved to be around you know what i mean so like it's it's almost like that was your burden is like when you're the dude that everyone wants to party with everyone wants to hang around so it's like that they were almost kind of taken away from what like you actually you know like you said you could have trained more you could have whatever yeah but it's like fuck man you were just the dude everyone wanted to be around like, oh we just had such a good crew especially like over in orlando like you know living and partying and hanging out and riding with all the like all the aussie crew like yeah so dino good. and scotty broom and you know the mackie brothers and and mitch langfield and harley and like all you know all of those crew like it was just you know chriso and you know just it was rad like you know and and that to me it seemed like that was like the best era like you got it in the the sweet spot and me and jeff were talking about that as well like he kind of got it in maybe the heyday of like x games and stuff he then, got the golden the golden years and i came through like you know a I little still bit think after you that, guys had it pretty solid in terms of the lifestyle because then i think like social media was coming around and like you guys were kind of getting to put it out there to more people and yeah. so like i think jeff definitely got it in the heyday of like competition but then i think that whole like the way you guys filmed there were so many film parts coming out oh dude and we were so lucky to have people like carney and christian you know the guys that yeah released you know came along and you know they were putting their lives into documenting wakeboarding and and documenting what what we were passionate about which was amazing like we were so fortunate to have that and I guess, you know, like um, what I was saying about sort of, I guess, missing, just missing the golden years, like, you know, with Daniel Watkins and Ike and Josh Parks. And, and Parks, you know, and, and Jeff, like Jeff sort of caught the tail end of it. But that was where, you know, the big money was coming through and sponsorship. And, and I feel like I peaked right as the economy took a dive. Yeah. Like my 1080 was at the start of 2008, which was like, I'd literally the year before I had um, gone to Surf Expo and I'd been riding for like, you know, Oakley for, you know, a bunch of years and finally like get to sit down with the team manager over there and he's like, we love what you're doing. We're going to put you on the international team and start you on like a, you know, just a base salary, whatever. But to me, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't making any money. Like at, at any one point, the most amount of money I was making from wakeboarding was $500 a month. No shit. And 
I, you know, I just do find different things and whatever else I could do to be able to get by. And, um, and so to have this team manager, you know, like I was so stoked to get to that point. And then, cause it's almost like recognition as well for like all the past. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's validating everything that I'd done and, and, and me as a wakeboarder. And, um, so I was so stoked and I leave surf expo and I go back to New Zealand and he's like, yeah, we'll send the contract out and stuff. And then months go by you know, emails aren't getting responded to, phone calls aren't getting answered. And then February comes around, I land the 1080, first phone call I make to him gets answered. <laughs> and then it's like, oh yeah, sorry, economy this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Plus Oakley, was this with Oakley you were saying? Yeah. They went through some shit too. Like, yeah. cause that was right around when it got sold to Ray-Ban, was it? Yeah, sure I can't remember. There was, there was a bunch of there shit a, that went yeah, on. Yeah, there was a ton of changes. And that was the thing. Like, I, I get it, you know, but the fact that I didn't get... Yeah, you just missed back it. Yeah. And I didn't get, like, I, I didn't get sort of... Um, I guess, you know, like, if, if it had just come to me and gone, hey, mate, sorry, we can't actually pay yeah. you what I was going to, but let's work something else out, then that would have been fine. But just getting ignored and then oh yeah you did a 1080 cool now I'm your buddy again like, yeah. and it was just to the point where I'm like look mate you know we're done kind that's, of thing so, like that. that's so the industry though in yeah. a lot of different ways which, which kind of sucks and and I mean I kind of I can see it from like the team manager's end because then he's got his budgets and his bosses are cutting him down and then he's worried about his job so like exactly. you kind of can't you, you sort of get it but then at the same time it's like just answer your phone man yeah and, and that's the thing like, I've, I've always been really good at looking at both sides of the you know, mm. the, the picture and and I understand certain situations like even, even in a breakup like I don't get mad because I, I get it you know yeah. like I understand whatever's going on and um and so I think like that was pretty frustrating for me to to feel like you know I'd finally like hit that you know like land the 1080 then the next year I did the step up and mm. did a few of these things that you know I was right there but it was just like the, the worst possible time yeah and and not only that like coming from New Zealand as well like I mean when I got here to the Gold Coast I was like one of my biggest regrets career-wise was not moving to Australia early on in my career for the uh the seasons over this side um or spending you know even spending more time in the u.s like i was going back to new zealand a lot and um i guess because it was comfortable back there and i wasn't you know i'd go home after a season in the states and pretty deep amount of debt yeah so i'd have to go home and work it off and and i think like that was something that didn't quite um didn't help too much with sponsorship you know like if there's a, a yeah, company in the US, if there's a company in the US that wants to sponsor someone, they're only getting six months worth of value out of me, whereas for someone else, they could get a full yeah. year's worth of value out of. Um, and I guess I didn't quite understand that at the time. And there are a lot of things that I that I've learned from you know my mistakes. And again, that's another thing that I'd love to be able to help other people. Yeah. Um, you know, even young up and coming riders and and things like that. Even just any athletes, like if there's things that I can you know pass on that um that can help other people in their career based on the mistakes that I made and lessons that I learned then you know that's that's a win as well like you know to be able to help others um with you know with that sort of a journey yeah um what do you think of wakeboarding now where it's at man it's it's interesting like it's I mean writing wise it's insane it's crazy like nuts you know and, and that's 
it's all come from the new boats and the, the size of the wakes. That's, like, that's what Jeff was saying when we spoke. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was having a chat with, uh, with Shane Bonifay while I was in the States uh, just a month or so ago. And we were talking about how, you know, the level has just changed so much. And it was almost like he was kind of referring to, you know, like comparing it with baseball and say you go back 50 years and the amount of home runs that someone could get in a season, um, you know, let's say it's 50 home runs, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then let's say, you know, in the current day, there are people able to get like 300 home runs, but that's because the, uh, the boundary has been brought in by like 50 or 100 feet. Mm. It's the same as with wakeboarding. The, the wake has gotten that much bigger. So it's creating this, you know, like this time different playing field. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, tricks like a 1080 like back then in 2008 like when i landed i was the was the fourth person to get it documented on film um and it was such like it was this huge like benchmark. massive accomplishment eh? yeah whereas now there are Plus, kids because you're a big dude too like you compare you to danny half well actually to be honest the the first four of us that landed 1080s like on you know on film you got parks which was the first and he's he's a bit smaller but danny rusty and myself we're all over six foot tall oh i thought danny was smaller no he's he's quite a big dude like so rusty's a big dude yeah so it was kind of i don't know if it was just a power thing maybe we were able to do it but um that was really interesting um to me when yeah when i realized that but then yeah now you got kids that are doing 1080s consistently off the wake not even using a double up like mm. and it's it's almost taken away from the, the prestige of, of doing it yeah yeah but i mean you got to kind of look at it at, at that the, the playing field's changed well yeah it's relative to the time that it went down like yeah. it's definitely heavier in the day that you guys did it yeah but um again i mean 1080s off the wake like it's it's not seeing these guys you know in comp in contest too like Corey Tunison's just crushing mm. it now and it's um, well even the way that Harley just has double flips like a normal trick yeah. like straight off the wake and it's getting to the point like if you don't have a double flip in your run don't even bother don't come. almost like you're not going to make a final pretty much like I mean there might be one or two it depends how many people they have in the final if it's a six man final every one of those guys is going to have a double flip and going to have a wake to wake nine at least of some sort of variation whether it's you know and some of them are doing backside nines off the wake toe tens off the wake like and it's it's interesting that with the way contest has gone now like they've actually reduced the amount of tricks that you have in your run you used to have mm-hmm. like well it used to be a from this boy to that boy and if however many tricks you can fit in um then it went to five tricks i think each way um now it's down to four Mm. and I find that kind of weird because I feel like that's almost going backwards when the sport should be going forward if everyone's got two double flips and two nines in their runs then Mm. there's very little that they can do to differentiate what they're doing like that's where I feel like you know it was really cool when they had that um, 360 or less um, requirement you have to do one trick of a 360 or less that was where you saw like dudes doing massive backside 180s to the flats and yeah and now you got these rewinds which are awesome like it's the own we're the only sport that can do that you know with that tension of the rope you, you mm. can't do it on the so snowboard. explain that for people that um don't know what that is so basically you know if you do like a, a 360 spin you got to pass the handle behind your back 
but if you if you leave the wake in the in the right way and you do it quickly enough then you can regain tension because the boat's moving forward you can re- regain that tension on the on the handle and then you can rewind that spin in the opposite direction so you can basically go 361 way yeah. keep the tension on the rope and then use that to pull yourself back around the 360 reverse the way you can yeah or even just a, a 180, 180 the other yeah. way so i mean like um uh, one of my you know ronix teammates like uh massey he was the first to do what he calls the zero which is like i think it was a backside three to frontside three that's a pretty sick maybe front three to back three i can't remember which one it was but just super cool i love that we have that in wakeboarding like to differentiate us from other sports it it's kind of a shame that you do see dudes like chriso go kind of out of i guess he never really was like a big competitive guy but like you kind of can't compete but he's probably one of the most stylish dudes to ever ride a wakeboard and then he can't really do anything in a comp yeah 100% and he was one of these guys that really reinforced the whole free ride aspect like Mm. because I mean I think it was whether it was like a a thing that he disliked contests or whether it was just that he you know maybe was finding that um, his style of riding wasn't getting rewarded Mm. Um, but he I mean he's one of these guys that I always always looked up to Mm. as a rider and just you know everything that he did he made it look just so good out poked out yeah and um i mean i love chris so he's just such a legend of a dude and um you know we keep in touch a lot i haven't um, been able to catch up oh, i caught up with him actually in the states um while i was over there and um yeah he's just doing his thing now like snowboarding a bunch and he'll he'll mm. jump on a wakeboard every now and again and skates a bunch and um you know it's a shame where you see uh, guys like that who were just so influential um, in the sport and see them drop out and I guess it is it does come down to the way the um, you know with sponsorship and things like that look if you're not making a living out of it then it, it's it's hard to go from uh, wakeboarding because you're passionate about it and yeah. you know and you've got these goals and you're doing it for the passion then you start getting paid for it then it's hard to go back to wakeboarding for the passion of it again after that, I think. And then you start to get to the age where you need a house and you need, um, you know, all the shit that comes along with being an adult. Yep. And then if you want to have a relationship and you like, it's sort of life does happen and it's sort of, I don't know, people like, Oh, you shouldn't let it stop you. But fuck, yeah. it's a reality. Like, well, and, and injuries as well. You know, he had some, some weird injuries that just like, he sliced his finger on a wakeboard rack and he was mm. out for like eight months. That's bizarre. Or something ridiculous. Like, and just sliced a tendon and, you know, just little things like that that can just happen. I mean, I was plagued with injuries throughout my career. And, I mean, I had one season where I got to the States and within the first month I put my lower back out and I was out for, I think, five weeks. Managed to squeeze in two weeks of filming with Christian for, I think that was deliberate, the film mm-hmm. um, at the time. Um, squeeze in two weeks of filming and then I'd actually... I was still a junior at the time and I was trying to get on the junior tour. Um, I won Worlds the year before, so I was like, all right, I can get a wild card in. And I get the call that I got a wild card um, and I've got two weeks for the before the contest. 30 minutes after getting that call, I broke my foot. Just being an idiot outside doing backflips with a bunch of kids that were living in the in the neighborhood that I was in. And, um, and I took a week off riding and I was still so determined to go to that contest. 
started writing again it was actually how I learned to get my toe nine consistent because I kind of felt like you know I had to push off my front foot as I came off the wake and my front foot was the one I broke so if it hurt uh. if it hurt as I came off the top of the wake I knew I'd done it right yeah right <laughs> it was so funny but then um so then carrying on like the uh, the day before that contest I was about to fly out I went to uh, O-Town um, to go and practice on the rails they had there and I slipped out on one of the rails and tacoed over it uh, hooked my board on like one of the backwards. posts uh, forward oh, okay. hooked, hooked my board on one of the posts and swung into the side of it and broke my leg um, so I broke my fibula I think it is the smaller of the two bones at and, the back um, yeah or just on the on the side right below my knee oh, um, yep, yep, yep. just sort of broke it there and um, so I was out of that contest I wasn't riding for another you know six weeks get back on my board and this is right when Ronix was released um and I I wasn't happy on the company I was on I wasn't really getting anywhere I'd won worlds as a junior but wasn't being put on their junior team Mm. um and that may or may not have been because the team manager was a pedophile and um actually and only was putting small blonde haired blue eyed kids on the team yeah and he actually went to jail for a That's long time fucking heavy yeah it was nuts who like what company was that with that was with c-dub um yeah. and uh i mean it's, it's not super publicly known but a lot of people know that that's what went down and that's fucking wild um and and i found you know there are probably some other reasons as well like i mean i i'd done a few stupid things like um getting angry in contests and and showing it yeah um, not hiding it which is kind of what you should do um but then yeah so then anyway like Ronix came about and I go along to Surf Expo and I you know meet up with Chad Sharp and meet Paul O'Brien and Herb O'Brien at the time and um they were having this contest um that was coming up in a few weeks but I was flying home so I wasn't going to be able to make it and the contest they were running was to kind of you know find some new team riders like their new amateur riders and sort of up-and-coming team riders and so I was kind of bummed I wasn't going to be there so I was like chatting with Chad and I'm like hey man you know I'd really love to be able to like ride with you guys and kind of just um have the opportunity to um you know to show what I can do because I can't make it to that event and we're at OWC at the time he's like oh have you got your board I'm good about here I was like uh okay I guess go go grab my board go down to the dock and they pull the boat up and next thing like Chad gets in the boat Danny Half gets in the boat. No shit. Parks, Parks Bonifay gets in the boat. And I was like... How old were you? Shitting myself. Uh, this is 2006. So I would have been 23 or something, yeah, right. 22. So for people that don't know, Parks Bonifay is like the Kelly Slater. Of, Just the legend. Of yeah. wakeboarding. And Danny Half is like the Andy Irons. Like they're like the two yeah. biggest dudes, like OG guys that took wakeboarding into like a whole new level yeah so you're a 23 year old that's like asking for a chance to audition for the team and then the two baddest motherfuckers of all time jump in the boat to like judge your shit yeah so with i mean with those three sitting there i was like shaking in my boots and and it was like the sun had already gone down like it was or you know it was about to get dark and I went out and I had one of the best sets that I've ever had. No way. Landed pretty much everything except like one or two of my tricks. And um, 
and I remember one of my buddies was sitting in the boat and I like I did a trick and I knew I did it on purpose because I knew Parks would love it and it was uh, like I used to do a nuclear glide so nuclear grabs like where you grab with your backhand you reach all the way yeah, around so like the front a, yeah like that right yeah all the way around the front to the the back edge of your board like behind your front foot kind of thing um and i knew parks loved like uh what he called a butterfuko which is like a 911, like a glide where you go sort of backside rotation and then you kind of bring it around all the way 180 and mm. land, land fakie and so i did a nuclear butterfuko like nuclear glide to fakie and he loved it like and i remember uh my buddy getting out of the boat and he was like dude they're like they're like oh man i didn't realize he rode so good you know like saying all this stuff and i was just frothing like that's so, so stoked and, but i like and it wasn't like instantly they were like yeah you're on the team or anything like because yeah. what happened like a week later like i still had worlds coming up and um was it on one of their boards or was it on your old no board? it was on my old board at the time um and worlds was coming up and then i ended up like i was out training and ended up breaking my leg again so like i guess it hadn't healed properly i ended up like getting hung up in a trick upside down and kind of pulled it around super late and smashed my chin on my knee like split my chin open and broke my leg in the same crash so it was a pretty shit season like apart from you know the couple little highlights like filming with christian and then that like riding with the you know with the ronix guys and um so I'm like, and not only that, like, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm going home. Like, you know, tail between my legs kind of thing on crutches. I got a board bag, a suitcase, a laptop bag and a backpack trying to get from, you know, I'm on the flight like to, to LA and I'm like, okay, how am I going to get to my next flight? Mm. And they told me that unless I was in a wheelchair that they won't have someone like come get That's my cool. bags yeah, and stuff yeah. for me. So I was going to have to be in a wheelchair. And anyway, I was like, worrying so much about that that i get off the plane get to my next flight and i'm like oh shit my passport oh no and it was in the seat back pocket of the last plane which had already left to go to hawaii fuck so, so i'm i end up spending 24 hours in lax just like with a broken leg sleeping in the corner like oh. just uh, it was shit I, like you know credit card maxed out no phone credit left no money I luckily bumped into a, a dude who I became friends with, who was friends with a few of my uh, my buddies back home. He was on the same flight home, and so I bumped into him. He gave me a hundred bucks. Like he's like, "All right, you know, this will get you through the next day, so you can get home." And um, but yeah, so it was kind of a, a shit season, and, and you get you know plagued by injuries like that. And um, you know, I blew my knee into my shoulder and a few other things as well throughout the years. So there's all the, always those setbacks, but. Yeah, once I got home and got healed up and met the dude who was bringing in um, Ronix into New Zealand, Duncan, um, and I rode one of their boards. To be honest, I really didn't like it. Uh, tried their boots on; they didn't have my size. Uh-huh. They had like a size ten, and I was wearing, I was a twelve. Um, but I ended up riding it, and um, like it was okay. But I kind of it wasn't the board that I wanted. It wasn't the one the one board, which was Danny Haas yeah um, okay and so like I, I mean i didn't care i was like cool yeah i'm in you know like yeah. he just he was like you want to ride for us i'm like sweet yeah let's do this and so i got back to the states hadn't you know i'd only ridden that one board like i was riding jeff weatherall's pro model at the time oh um yeah. just like in the in between because i'd sort of just left c-dub and i was like i'm not happy where i'm at not jumping ship to another company yet because i haven't been given any opportunity i'm just 
you know, I enjoy writing that that board that you know had Jeff's name on it and um, spray painted Ronix across the bottom and got back to the states had a couple boards waiting for me and landed my first heel nine first set on Danny's board really and I was like yep sold I mean done you know it was it was perfect so um, that was a, you know, a cool time I, those years were definitely my favorite years and um, you know in, in my career and going through probably from you know maybe yeah to the 2000 2008 I'd say like if I had to highlight one year I mean that was a 1080 year that was uh you know a good year on the Aussie Pro Tour I think I got I got second at the New Zealand stop and I think I got third overall um on the Aussie Pro Tour that was the last year of the Pro Tour and mm. um yeah it was a, it was a fun time that year how um how much did Jeff influence you when you were younger uh, yeah quite a lot like um at the, at the very beginning um I, I didn't really ride with them much at all i kind of you know had my own crew that i rode with uh, my buddies ants and brant um you're both quite a bit older you know sort of five years older than me and you know here i was this like 12 13 year old showing up at the wakeboard club like and i ended up getting sent to um well you know going along to one of these contests um and my mum was friends with my buddy brant's dad and was like hey can, you know would you mind like taking brand down oh brad down and looking after him and here's brand like he's probably 18 at the time and going oh you know, I don't want to babysit this kid. babysit yeah totally and the next thing i'm like they got me drunk and i'm doing backflips on the dance floor and like just having an awesome time this no, back when mark, mark kenny was around and um before he died and and you know he was there and i just remember that you know, i landed my first flip like my first tantrum behind an old outboard and um you know and and became friends with those guys but then um then i started going on to the ballistics wakeboard camp and and spent a bit of time there and that's when i really met jeff and got to hang out and ride with him a bunch and um and to be honest i didn't really get along with him at first like it's it's funny too because um I think it's just because he's the type of guy he just gives you shit like he's just he's so like just down the line eh? yeah totally and I wasn't ready for that I don't yeah. think at the time and it was once I uh, once I accepted the fact that he could be a cunt <laughs> then it was great like you and know, he, was and, a, he was a cunt out of love yeah yeah totally you know, I mean? you know and, and, and there'd be times that like um, like he would give me so much shit on the dock at Wakeboard at the contest at Nationals because and that's one thing that like kind of bugs me and he loves it is that I never got to beat him at a New Zealand Nationals oh that was like his shit yeah like I beat him in a few other contests like at Worlds and a few others but never got a national title while he was there like I I won one national title but he wasn't there that year Um, but yeah it was the type of thing like he'd I remember one year like he was last off the dock I was second to last and I'm standing there in my boots ready to jump off the dock ready to go and and as the ropes were about to come tight, Brad, uh, Jeff's like, hey, Brad, go nuts. Go nuts, bro. Go nuts. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I turn around and he's got his nuts hanging out, like waving them around at me. I was like, the fuck, dude? Like, just, it was so funny. But it was, we, we had this fun rivalry. Like, it was, it was really cool. And when I first started going to the States, like, that's when really when uh, Jeff and I started to, you know, I guess we became a lot closer and, um, I was living with them and uh, with him and, and Kathy and Andrea and a few others like sort of we bounced around a few houses and rode with Jeff a lot and he sort of took me under his wing and um, 
and that was that was the point like those first two years I think when I was in the states where I went from being this kind of grommet that he took under his wing to being this dude that was competing at the same level as him mm. and um, you know learning some tricks that that you know we had our own different styles so I was learning some tricks he couldn't do he could do tricks that I couldn't do and plus it, I think there's like a thing to be said for when you're like mm-hmm. he's older and part of that generation so I think when he grew up the you're almost there's almost like a boundary where you're confided to in your mind of like what's possible right and then you grew up in that era of when your mindset of what's possible was just that little bit further than his because of the way that he grew up does that make sense like because i think about that a lot especially with motocross like that's sort of my main background and you think that like you know james stewart like when he did the scrub yeah, yeah so the then like scrub. all yeah. those all those dudes that he were racing against were like boom like right. their mind was fucking blown they're like i yeah. can't do that but then you get all those kids on 65s that are at the time yeah. going like oh, i'm gonna learn how to bubble scrub and then by the it just, time it sets the new benchmark yeah and, I, and yeah. I think that you like jeff had that benchmark that was set for him and then he'd go gone past that but then you your idea of what the benchmark was was kind of past his and then you kind of got to grow up in that yeah totally and then you see it now like the benchmark is double flips off the wake and so you're seeing kids that are like 10 11 years old thinking that's what's yeah happening. that's what they can just go and do like it's what's possible it's the same with you know the, the first backflip on a motorbike like, yep. no one thought it was even possible and now the dude's doing triples yeah like what the f- like it's just insane and it's crazy how the evolution of sports like works like that and um and I think as well, like I was really lucky to have older guys like, you know, like Jeff and, and Brant and Ants um, in those early years, like take me under their wing because it, it meant that I was automatically kind of, you know, they were better riders than me. They were sort of, you know, like at that, at that um, higher level. So it meant that I just, I had to kind of work up to that and I had to kind of throw myself in the deep end, I guess. And because if you write like if you're out there writing with people that are at either at the you know same level or not as good as you like it, well I guess the same level you push each other yeah you know but if you if you're the best guy out there all the time then you don't really have the incentive or the the, the push to really yeah. to to drive and and learn as much um, and that's where I really loved the fact that you know writing with people that are better than you like it just pushes you to to kind of you know build your own level up and um, and I think that's you know I definitely attribute a lot of my success and in, in my writing and, and a lot of what I did to the people that I rode with and 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 as well like the things that we watch and the things that we absorb yeah um, just through you know back then it was all just the wakeboard videos that would come out every six months or so and and I mean going off on a tangent I loved that that era where you had to wait you know yeah. for the for the new movie to come out and it's someone's section that they put it. The, so the whole season into, into yeah. yeah whereas now it's like go out for a set and then within five minutes you're, you're you've instagrammed you've it. instagrammed it and it's just like it's kind of it's not as special no because we did grow up like how old are you i'm 31 yeah so i'm 29 okay. so we grew up in that same era and i remember like especially 
for us, like I'd say to people in, uh, cause I lived in the States for like six years and I'd say to the dudes in the States, I'd be like, you don't get it, bro. We got this shit late. Like we fucking waited and waited and waited for yeah. our delivery of crusty demons, you know, six and crusty demons seven. Yeah. And then when we got those motherfuckers there on VHS and we played them and played them and played them <laughs> and played them like, and it was, that was a special time. Like, I remember, um, you know, Travis Pastrana, Revelation 199. Like, the amount of times I would have watched that movie yeah. or, like, Gromageddon or, you know, it, it was special. And now, like, I don't find myself wanting to buy DVDs anymore because people aren't making them the way they did. Yeah. And then I find myself not really watching as much on the internet because it's never as good as the feeling that you got from waiting to have that it just seems like it's also watered down like you, you're getting it so constantly that it yeah doesn't have that impact and i loved there was um you know going back a few years but you know like in snowboarding you'd have travis rice would you yeah. know he'd he'd like he'd be the ones going you know putting in the time doing you know for those epic films to come out you know art of flight and and all of those ones and then you know danny half did that in wakeboarding with yeah defy dude, that was sick um and but again uh, it's it's almost i mean there are still you know you get those feature films that come out every you know every year but it almost seems like there's less and less happening and mm. um but there's there's always you know there's definitely something to, to be said for a a full length you know full yeah. section video part that you've put blood sweat and tears into over months and months of writing and and kept um, it secret and yeah exactly and that's that's what i really loved about um you know my last year of writing um when we were filming for prime um mm. and you know the the lake ronix era like that you know that was all just starting and um i mean my role out there and everything just how that all went was um it was so cool like delving into that um you know the filming process and um helping sean kilgus out when i when i could like with organizing things at the lake because we had you know 10 15 riders that are all wanting their little part and wanting to do this and yeah. that and it was pretty stressful trying to like organize it all and um but just putting the time in and and coming up with different ideas you know and doing the step ups into the into the pool and hitting the mega ramp and all that sort of stuff it was just such, such a fun time putting that that sort of work in and you know, I'm I'm really proud of the way the uh, the sections turned out, the Lake Ronick sections. And even though I've only got I think three or four tricks in there, I think I think I'm more proud of the fact that I mean I built half the stuff that was out there. Yeah, like yeah. you know, well I guess project managed like the builds and um, and was involved a lot in helping organize it all. So I mean I was. I was able to draw sort of pride out of other people's parts in the section too like just the whole section as a whole yeah because um, you you felt a part of more than just your own tricks yeah exactly and that and that was really cool i loved you know being a part of that and um i mean yeah the, that whole lake ronix time was just epic mm. like that was that was my you know the dream come true really that was that was it for me and i was i was so stoked to be a part of all that mm. what was it like to see um guys like jeff and dean and everyone come together post um accident to do what they did for you because i mean that's what i really remember like you know all those guys like 
Jeff spent like a lot of time with you in hospital even and like a lot of people put their lives on hold in a way yeah. for a while to, to help you through that. Like how much does that mean um, now to you, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, it just, it just means the world. I mean, it was such a heavy time that, um, you know, Jeff at the time was in California and he uh, heard about my injury and, and pretty much dropped everything and flew straight out. And I mean, it, and he wasn't in a great financial position to be able to do so, but, you know, he was just wanted to be there to help and knew that. Um, I think at the time, like, I don't know if there was anyone else that could have done what Jeff did um, for me because I don't know, like, he just he just hustled like he just got on the phone to like calling anyone and everyone like getting in contact with people like Barney Miller and Josh Wood like and other other guys that have been through this and um he was like all right what do we need to do and okay fundraising okay you know what's best to help with Brad directly okay you know like things like while I was in the hospital they'd come in and just uh massage my hands or my feet or um, bring in different things like that would remind me of of wakeboarding or you know even smells and things like my board sitting there or really whatever it was that um, I guess you know it was just like you know and Jeff he basically you know we had that first fundraiser and in Orlando um, raised a, a solid chunk of money there and um, you know it was really cool to see the community come together and, and support me and and then we had fundraisers all over the world in different parts like, and, and it, I think it all most of it came, uh, came like attached with Prime and so people would do Prime premieres but they'd oh, do them as yeah. a fundraiser for me and you know there were people in, that I'd never met in countries that I'd never been to holding fundraisers for me that's fucking sick um, and it was it blew my mind like, and it was it was crazy to think that um, that I'd had an impact on people to the point where they felt you know compelled to do that and like I didn't feel like I was the most outgoing sort of the most overly friendly type of guy like you know if I was somewhere and I didn't feel comfortable like I wasn't really the type that would go out and just start a conversation with someone a lot of the time because I'd, I'd feel quite held back and um you know and I, and I would try to be friendly and and you know I'd, I'd chat to people and you know people come up and talk and have a conversation with them and but everything you like but fully in it no and I didn't realize that you know like that I would had made that much of an impact like even in the two minutes of talking to someone at an event just passing by then next thing I see that they you know stick it up their board with I ride for Brad and you know they're doing fundraisers and whatever it is that they can do to help and I mean it just it blew me away to have that that kind of support it was just just incredible and um and as well you know just my my friends and um, as you said, you know, Jeff and Dean and, you know, all the crew on Ronix and, um, and, and just all, you know, all my close friends that would come through, um, you know, we were pretty limited, like we kind of limited the amount of people that were coming through while I was in the ICU, yeah. uh, just cause I was on isolation as well. I had pneumonia and, um, you know, obviously it was a pretty rough time. Um, but then once I, uh, got moved up to Shepherd Center up in Atlanta, um, again it was still just like a revolving door of people just rolling through and um you know people would do road trips and drive up and we'd 
some pretty funny times, you know, like Massey and Dean and Chad and a bunch of crew would come up and just, you know, we'd just have, have a good time. And it was, those were sort of, you know, the first kind of lighthearted times I had after, after. the injury was, um, you know, just, just having those guys there and, and Chriso coming up and feeding me, uh, candy that had, um, uh, wheat, medicinal weed oil <laughs> yeah, in it yeah. and stuff. And, um, it was pretty cool. Like, it was pretty funny. Like I'm sitting there outside in the garden, like with my mom and a couple other people. And then Chris, like walks up all like all sly and just without even saying hello, like just, he just arrived, walks up and just puts a piece of candy in my mouth. <laughs> and mom looks at me and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> Let's like, go with it. Yeah. Um, so no, it was, it's definitely, um, very humbling um to have that amount of people sort of help you know like because i was also very uh, always a very independent person mm. um and i think that um sorry cut you off dude uh, when, when i spoke to barney on the podcast that's what one of the things that he said that i kind of like didn't really think about too much with this sort of injury is that he says he feels really guilty that people always have to like do stuff for him um, did you struggle with that? Yeah, I've I've been through definitely f- uh, feeling like a burden um, and feeling guilty. Like I felt so guilty for my mum's pain, um, and that was something that that was one of the first things that me and Susie worked through. Um, you know, basically saying, "Look, I, I'm not responsible for for my mum's like pain." I guess in a way, like even though it's as as a result of what I did and how I hurt myself but that's a mother's job in a way you know yeah, like to worry about her, their kids yeah, and to yeah. do, you know that's her thing like I can't control that yeah um and you know but their lack of independence and, and getting people to help all the time and things you know like it, it, there are times where I do feel like a burden and I do I, I have to pick and choose what I what I ask people to help with because if I'm asking for things that I want all the time, you know, or ask for everything that I need or want, then I'd, I'd be constantly asking people to, oh, yeah, I've got an itch, I need scratching or, you know, I want the, the volume turned up to two little notches or whatever, you yeah. know, like sometimes I just deal with it as it is so that I don't have to ask. Um, you know, even drinking a glass of water, I'll scull the whole glass in one go because I don't want to have to ask them over and over again to, to keep bringing me the glass back. Yeah. Um, just simple things like that. And, you know, it's to the point where I've, you know, I've been able to work through that and I, I don't really feel like a burden anymore because I know that my friends help because they want, they want to help. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, they, they want to be able to do things and, and you know, they'll, they'll put in the extra effort and go through all the extra bullshit that they need to go through for me to be able to go along and, and be a part of the things that they're doing because mm. they want me there. Um, and that's what's really cool. And it, it, it did take a while for me to, to be able to work through that. Um, but again, it was, it was something that, um, I, you know, I, I'd say everyone in my position or, you know, in any sort of position like this would, would feel the same way. And, um, but yeah, it just comes down to the fact that people love to be able to help. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the fundraising side of things early on, that was what what we were told, you know, like this is an expensive injury and we didn't really realize, you know, didn't know any of these things at the time. And so to get that information from, from Barney and from Josh and from, from Chris Ackerman and a bunch of other guys that 
Jeff connected with early on um, was was really really important information. Like, because um, if I mean, if we hadn't raised that that money um, at the time, like. I wouldn't be in the position I am now to be able to, um, you know, be relatively comfortable and not have to be stressing about, okay, I need to get a job now. Yeah. And what am I actually going to do? Like, and, and I am at the point now where I'm, I, I am looking at that because I want to. Yeah. And I want to move forward and I want to be, you know, contribute and be an active member of society and things like that. But um, early on, it was just, um, it, it was, uh, yeah, early on it was just more that um, like medical bills and all yeah. the costs and things like that. And that, I did get really, really lucky that um, my a lot of my bills um, for my ICU stay. And one thing I found really weird, like the bill comes in at 150 grand or whatever it was. Then the next bill comes in and that adjusted it and written non-insurance discount now the bill's only 30 grand because I didn't have insurance. Really? Oh, so they just knew that if they hit you with the 150 without insurance that you just wouldn't pay it? Probably, So yeah. then they just took it down to 30, just be like, let's just hope he fucking pays it. Yeah, and then I got really lucky that um, Florida Medicaid actually kicked in and paid that. Really? Um, so, I mean, they're, they're like, I think they, they support like low-income families when they have children or, you know, sudden traumatic like out of the blue mm. type accidents and things like that and um i mean again i don't really know like maybe it was my mom or you know i can't remember who it was that actually helped us um get to that but that was really cool and then when i went to shepherd center i was there for three months and that probably would have been 250 to 300 grand um but again i got a scholarship to be there so i didn't have to pay a cent and then like Onto the, the biggest thing um, was getting covered by ACC in New Zealand, which is like our government healthcare for accidents. Um, uh. So if, you, if you're in a car accident or you slip and break your leg or whatever, like ACC comes and they'll pay your medical bills and they'll pay you 80% of what you were earning until you're able to work again. Really? Um, and so it's actually kind of funny because I was... Um, the fact that I was living in the States and I just got a visa to actually live there full time um, and I didn't have a return flight booked or anything like that so basically they weren't going to cover me so I mean usually you can if you're just traveling as a tourist Mm. and you're outside of the country for up to six months I think it is then they'll still cover you once you get home Um, but so basically I wasn't going to get covered so I was going to be sort of having to deal with all the shit on my own but we managed to find a a bit of a loophole um and it came down to the fact that bank of america denied me a credit card no shit so i'd applied for a credit card because i was working at lake ronix and going to the the hardware store all the time to buy material to build ramps and rails and whatever else and so i had to put that on my new zealand credit card and they would reimburse me to my new zealand account which meant i had a taxable income in new zealand which I was paying ACC levies on. Uh, so it meant that by paying that tax, I was covered. So, and since then, I mean, like because of that, like they've, they've been amazing. Um, you know, they, they pay for my caregivers. I have 24 seven care. Um, so I've got a caregiver with me all the time. Um, they pay for my medication or my hospital bills. Um, they bought me a van, they pay for my equipment and rehab and, 
well, a lot of it anyway, not not all of it, but I mean, without that, I would have been, I would have been screwed. Like all of the money ra- that was raised would be long gone by now, and I'd be digging a hole in, of debt, or you know, having to find ways to fund um, fund everything now. So it's it's been really cool, um, and I've been very very fortunate to have had all of, all of that, and um, and you know, the money that was raised, um, you know, there's still a decent chunk of it which I've I've invested um in some safe investments that um you know it, it just means that I'm I'm able to be in a in a good place for my future yeah and also you know I'm starting a foundation and I want to put some of that money back yeah. into it to um to be able to help and you know get get spinal cord injury research along um see if we can speed things up to to help find a cure and you know so that that money raised, I, you know, if I can put it back and and help others with it, then you know, I'd love to be able to do that. How long did it take for you to get back to a relative? Like, I'd say you, you got a positive outlook now. How long did it take for you to get to the point where you had a positive outlook on this situation? Um, I think very early on after my accident, like still in the ICU, I decided that I was going to be positive and I was going to fight it and I was going to you know like work through it because I mean there were some pretty dark times in the very first couple of weeks where if I'd have been able to grab a gun and hold it to my head and pull the trigger, I would have. But funny thing is, if I'd have been able to grab a gun and had the ability to hold it to my head, like you wouldn't have wanted to, I wouldn't have needed to, like, yeah. but it was like, it was pretty dark. And, and, um, so what was the process of you? Cause I, I mean, I know it's like heavy to talk about, but I think it's important to talk about because people, find themselves in those situations without going through the kind of thing that you've gone through. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people that struggle with depression. There's a, like a high suicide rate for people that are our age, especially young men. Yeah. So it's like, what did you do to, to get out of that? Because that fuck, that'd be a, a low place to be to think like, I can't even do this. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think it was just my friends and family that were you know seeing the amount of support and um you know especially in those early times like knowing that the sport you know and the community was behind me and that um yeah you know my family were there and people had flown in and were supporting and getting you know getting not just the donations but the messages coming through of support and and everything was I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of what turned it around for me. Um, but, you know, like the whole depression and suicide thing, like I've, I've definitely had a, a a better look at a better understanding of it now than I did before. And, you know, the, I can understand, like there was a, um, what was it? There was a, a show that I went along to that my girlfriend at the time was in and um it was about it was a pretty dark show like it was about depression and suicide and stuff and they showed this clip of when the twin towers got struck and you know there's these burning buildings and people are leaping out from how many stories up to and falling to their death and there's this as they're showing it like as the person's falling it's just this very like peaceful looking mm. moment and you like can imagine scarily peaceful yeah but you can imagine being in a burning building and you that's your only option is just to jump out and like for some people their lives and the situation that they're in can feel like that burning building mm. and and to take that leap you know is is 
to them maybe a, a peaceful way of um of sort of dealing with it but the way i like to look at it is that you know our friends and our family and our, our supporters and the people around us like they're our our firefighters in a way they come in and they're the ones that put the fire out and they can kind of um yeah they, they're the ones that that can make things better for us again and and so i was really lucky to have that support um and and i think you know some people may not have such an amazing support network but finding someone to be able to talk to because you know that was just the very early on and just deciding that okay yes i'm going to fight this but it wasn't until probably eight or nine months ago that i actually am was at peace with where i was at and and fully accepted things and and i think it was at that point where i was really able to enjoy life again and not be out like out in public and looking around at everyone going oh I'm, I'm different I'm you yeah. know I'm in a wheelchair blah 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 like there are times and actually it's been kind of funny where I'll like catch myself and I'm like I completely forgot that oh, I'm that's even what in a wheelchair, wheelchair. Yeah. and um in that moment actually of acceptance and everything actually came after seeing the neurosurgeon and getting my MRI, uh, MRI scans back um, and seeing the amount of scar tissue build up and everything and basically seeing how much I'd fucked my spinal cord up. That really sucked for about 24 hours or so, you know, a day or two. And I think I went through this kind of, this moment of realization of acceptance and of being able to to be okay with where things are at and like go okay well now i can see visually like i really you know did a number on that thing i dropped from several stories up at yeah however many miles for a 20 something mile an hour um or more and i I guess because i was looking at other people that were getting movement back and Mm. things like that and i'm like why am i not I'm, i'm putting so much effort in and i just felt like you know i was like you know why can't I get this movement back and it kind of you know it explained things to me and then it was just this weird point of realization and and I was at peace with it after that and um it's kind of strange when something like that happens and something that was really shitty but it resulted in me being able to be okay with the situation and acceptance was something I hated that word. People said I had to accept this. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. And, um, but I think I realized that it wasn't accepting that this is how things are f- going to be forever. It's just accepting that this is how it is now. Right now. Um, and that that can change, you know. And I think that's the one, I think a big thing for everyone to be able to realize is like the situation we're in, no matter how dark and how, shitty it may seem like we can change it like and it it will change and sometimes you know that those situations are just there to test us and um usually you know you know i'd say more times than not you come out the other end stronger and and a better person for it yeah and i think that um an attitude that i always try and have is that if we spoke about it on the um last podcast with uh sam webb from the living org the mental health charity mm-hmm. and it's basically that you need the low to feel high without that con- like life's about 
contrast yeah and it's about either side of zero and if you didn't have anything negative you couldn't have anything positive totally and i think that um a lot of the times out of your deepest and darkest moments are the times where the best feelings are because then you all of a sudden are able to then well it's like you said it's perspective but if you've yep. got nothing to offset you it's impossible to have perspective without a contrast between two forces yeah so i think that um it's out of those really dark times and like i'm sure that with you the relationships that you've got with people are now so much stronger yeah. because of you know everything that's happened yeah yeah exactly and you know like um as as i was saying you know, the friends that kind of came through and helped out with everything after my injury and stuff like just the you know to know that they were there for me and everything and and you know the relationships i have with them now like you know i'm flying down to to sydney today to to go to a wedding but you know i'm going to go catch up with dino and and amber and um and their family because dean was one of the one of the two to pull me out of the water um when i had my accident him and chad and um so you know i just feel like especially with those two like there's just this bond bond there yeah Mm. it's like they kind of saved my life so um yeah and i think it's just uh it's a pretty interesting thing how dark times can bring good things well dude talking about 9-11 there's a crazy statistic that um the suicide rates in new york city after 9-11 like plummeted wow because people um it's through the shit times that actually binds people together and i think that it gives um the kind of argument is that it gives people a meaningful purpose that they sometime kind of like might lack in day-to-day life and how things get like kind of routine and mundane you don't really have that kind of thing to like bind people together but when these tragic things happen that does create that bond and that's why you see um even with guys that come back from like iraq and and war Mm -hmm. like they miss they miss the war not for the killing and the bloodshed but for the the bond that is created that's forged in the fires of hell almost Mm. you know what i mean so it's like it it is great and it's counterintuitive that that darkness and sadness is what would stop people from feeling you know like that whole suicide rate going down like it's very counterintuitive isn't it that's insane that's actually really interesting that yeah because the, the, like that. the city felt like it had to pull together it had it because i think people do feel disconnected like we're more connected than ever in terms of the you know social media and the news and the internet like you can look up like all of human history's discoveries are on fucking google.com mm-hmm. so it's like what you'd think that would be the time that would be the greatest to live in but for some reason people feel more disconnected than ever yeah and it and it it's crazy that it does take these things that you've been through like you knew the same people you knew dean you knew chad yeah but in this perfect life that you were living you didn't have nowhere near the connection that you did to these guys that you did after this thing happened that yeah changed your life in a way totally it's crazy to think huh yeah it is definitely so what's the yeah we're we're running out of time so that's why i wanted to talk about your foundation that you are 
trying to get off the ground how can how can people get involved is it at that stage yet or um we're very close um to that stage i think at this point um we're just working through like getting charitable status and and um, you know getting the right people involved and um the thing i'm most excited about is actually uh launching the first fundraising campaign which is one i've been working on for a while and um it's one that that a lot of people can get involved with and um it's it's basically i mean without going into too much detail but um kind of targeting like the whole man bun top knot hips to beard trend um so yeah you, you're gonna be <laughs> do i qualify you, you definitely qualify you're gonna um, make me shave that shit off aren't you no I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna make you but your friends and family and followers might okay so it's basically like a, a voting type thing you know, yeah, like, right. um, so it's, it's giving people the option so I've been growing my hair for five years now um, it's gotten way too long and basically after my accident my buddy Brant uh, when I was back in New Zealand he comes to the hospital and he started growing his hair as well and he basically was like um, yeah I'm growing my hair until you walk again and I was like sweet I'm in let's do this and then now f- almost four years on like i'm not that much closer to walking so i'm like all right we need to find a way out of this like and the only way to do it is to raise a solid chunk of money so um yeah we're just we're just putting things together at the moment getting everything kind of um figured out and but yeah that's the plan is to to kind of try to i guess use the the reach that i've got through you know my immediate network and then trying to just use that whole viral kind of yeah. spread um if we can and i think like something like that with you know like the whole man bun thing like it's been around long enough that some people are getting sick of it yeah and <laughs> and i feel like there would be a lot of people like you know wanting to nominate their buddies and yeah and, you know their brother or their it's a sick concept. um so i think you know if we can if we can nail it then i think it could go go really well and um, so I'm going back to the States later this year to launch that hopefully um, in September for Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Month. And um, But yeah, with the foundation, really the focus is, you know, we, there are a lot of Spinal Cord Injury Foundations out there, a lot of people raising money, a lot of people putting money toward research and things like that. And I was just thinking like, man, how do I, how do I find a point of difference? How do I do something that's actually going to bring change and not just be reinventing the same wheel that everyone else is doing Mm. um and i think the approach that i've figured out in this kind of light bulb eureka moment happened a few months ago where basically decided that we're going to look to try to map out what the the actual cure is going to be um and and uh, basically like you know get a scientific board together they can go through all the research that's happening and um you know because it's a sort of a collaborative thing that i want to i want to mm. get um happening because you've got stem cells or you've got um electrical stimulation like implants that they can do and things like that but i mean for me like i, I went through the desperation phase of like oh i gotta go to india or panama or wherever to go get stem cells mm. and then when i when i actually took the time to look at it i'm like that's just going to be a waste of money um because it's like there's been a landslide across a highway and you know the highway being my spinal cord and you know the the landslide all the the shit across the the highway is like the scar tissue that's there without removing that scar tissue first you can't or the landslide you can't repair the highway Mm. so 
you know, it's got to be looked at as a, as the bigger picture as a whole. And, 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 um, so first for me, like the scar tissue needs to go, then we need to look at creating that environment for healing. So that's where the stem cells and, uh, whichever type of stem cells, I mean, there's a lot of work going on there. They're not, not quite there yet, but, um, there is some amazing stuff happening with it. Um, and then, you know, then looking at those electrical stimulation type things for, reconnecting the signals and and mapping out you know our motor functions and stuff again and um so to to be able to put that together and in a way to to be able to present it to say like look eight years and 250 million dollars whatever the number may be yeah like almost create an end game kind of thing yeah and and even though like you know i feel like a lot of the time uh, spinal cord injury is referred to as being similar to like a marathon. Mm. It's not a sprint. You're not going to get through it real quick. Like it's something it's going to take a long time. I feel like in a marathon, not that I've ever done one. If you see the finish line, you probably get a bit more energy. Yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. you put a bit more work in and get a bit more excited and whatever. And um, and even though this is going to be an evolving finish line, it's something that's going to, it's going to move. It's going to evolve mm. as, as the research evolves. But by having that finish line there, it means people can invest in it and they can buy into it and they can kind of feel like they don't need to go and get stem cells just because it's the only thing that they think is available and it might do something that gives them 2% return. You know, like if maybe the first finish line in, in this map gives, you know, like 10, 15% return and then five years later or a few years later, like it, it, they can do something that's better. But it also means that when people are donating and, and they're raising money that their $20 or $100 drop in the bucket is actually going to fill the bucket mm. you know it's, whereas with a lot of the research going on at the moment and it's fundraising open-ended. and same with cancer research and things like that it's it's a bottomless pit um, so we, I just really want to be able to have like and um, collaborate with other foundations to raise that money and to collaborate with other people um, in similar positions to to be able to drive the fundraising side of things and um, and you know try to get researchers to collaborate on the bigger picture. So um, that's where we've come up with the, the name, the Movement Collaborative. And um, yes, I'm just in the process of pulling that all together now and hoping in the next couple of years we'll be able to make a bit of an impact. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, you got a flight to catch, so you can go and uh, do your other job of emceeing weddings. Yeah. <laughs> and um, man, I really appreciate you making the time to come hang. Like it was fucking awesome to meet you and hear your story. And, and I hope people get something out of this and uh, let me know as soon as there is a place where people can contribute to the foundation um, yeah. and anything we can do to get involved. We yeah, full support from us. So awesome. Yeah. Cheers, Jason. Yeah, been awesome to be on here and thanks for having me and uh yeah we'll we'll definitely uh i'll be i'll be checking out more of the podcast because you know like it's awesome to see like you know jeff's one and barney's and everything i've been going back and watching a few of them now and listening in so um so yeah i'm pumped and um yeah thanks again for having me yeah i hope you enjoyed it man it was it was definitely fun for me yeah it was a good time good convos sick dude yeah cheer bud that's it you made it to the end appreciate everybody tuning in as always uh the show is basically nothing without people listening to it so it always stokes me out um when i see 
How many people are into this whole thing? Still a bit of a trip, to be honest, but I'm stoked to be able to be bringing it to everybody. Uh, just another final little shout out to our sponsors, Boost Mobile. You can find those guys at boost.com.au, Nobby Underwear, uh, nobbyunderwear.com.au, and then the boys at Omen Printing. You can find those guys at www.omenprinting.com.au as well as on the gram at Omen Prints. We are working on a bunch of new stuff, I guess, for anyone that's interested in what is going to be happening on the podcast going forward. There's a new platform um, that we have been speaking to and it's going to let us do some different stuff with our advertising, which means that I don't have to be limited to just one episode a week. Uh, I would like to get to a stage where I'm doing multiple episodes a week and kind of just releasing them as I'm doing as opposed to sort of sitting on them now. But with the way that the ads are set up, it's kind of how I have to do it. So yeah, there's a a few exciting things there. There's potentially a new podcast um, being started maybe next week. So I'll give you guys some info on that. That'd be pretty cool. Be like a different format. Have a regular co-host. So yeah, dropping a few little hints there. And yeah, we're just going to hopefully keep going from strength to strength with this whole thing. Uh, Bring you guys some more video content. And yeah, just generally kind of get everybody a bit more involved in this whole thing so yeah thanks for watching i've been meaning to do like a little bit of a wrap-up read at the end for i guess anyone that is kind of interested in not just the podcast itself um but i guess more some of the stuff that's going on around it and big thank you to everybody that has bought merch already that is a massive massive help and it's going to be super cool to start getting photos of everybody running uh their gt shirts and hoodies That's it. I will talk to you guys again soon. As always, send through any messages on the DMs. Always around for a yarn. It's been pretty rad meeting the people that I have. And yeah, that's it. We're out for another week. Goes quick. Comes up quick. All right, guys. Cheers.